Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on the Celtics Vlog Podcast feed. Your Celtics Pride team, as always, myself, Adam Motenko, my twin brother, Josh. What's up, Josh? What's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Mike Minkoff, what's happening? How's it going, guys? Sorry, my, uh, my voice doesn't go up there. My voice doesn't go there. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we're going to review the last four games the Celtics played. We're going to talk about Brad's lineups in preparation for the playoffs. We're going to touch on why Marcus Smart wasn't really in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. We'll start looking ahead to Philly with an exciting announcement towards the end of the podcast before ending with a standings watch and looking at the next games. The last four games, the Celtics lost to Miami. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Toronto in a whooping. The Brooklyn game was not close either. And then they beat Orlando in overtime. What did you guys see from these games? How do you feel about them? The Toronto game, I think, is the most important one of that group. Honestly, that's the only game of this grouping that I'm actually caring much about. Um, and because, we, you know, it was the only game against some stellar competition, but they just didn't come out with their shot. The rim was just closed. And even even Mike Gorman at the beginning of the game, he was like, it just looks like the, the lid is closed for the Raptors. They shot 26 or 28% from three. Um, so, you know, it, it was looking like this game that even the broadcasters were kind of fearful of. I think, you know, the Raptors hadn't lost a game yet. And then it just didn't really amount to much. So now we're kind of just in cruise control, I feel like, getting ready as, as the standings won't be changed too much. That Toronto game was a big game. They're, they're ahead in the standings. Uh, people are talking about them. They hadn't lost, as you mentioned, Josh. Uh, is it a bad thing? <laughs> I mean, I, I completely agree. The lid was closed. They just had a bad shooting night, and that, that kind of, I mean, with the NBA, the way the game is played right now as is repeated ad nauseum, it's a make-or-miss league, and it was just not their night. And the Celtics hit everything. Um, should we be concerned? Brad Stevens came out at the end of the game basically saying, this is meaningless. We're going to see them again in the playoffs. I think he was really trying to play off the fact that they trounced him as much as they did. Uh, so that his team doesn't get a big head. Should we be concerned at all about how much they, they beat them by and how easy it was? No, and that's why I'm, I'm making the point that I'm making about the shooting percentage for the Raptors. I don't think it was really a game. Um, so I think you know Brad's right to play it off like that. If the Raptors come out and shoot the same percentage as us or as they normally do, it's a whole different ball game, and, and now you really have a game that you can analyze. But it's difficult to analyze that game much. I think, um, and and that was the only one in the last week that I really look at, besides the Miami game, right, which exposed a fatal flaw of the Celtics that we've been talking about a lot on this pod. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out which game it was, but I think the real, uh, from my perspective, the biggest thing that emerged from the past week was that. Time Lord got unburied from the bench as, and has returned as kind of a regular rotation player, which given given the struggles that the team has had and defending big men, I think is going to be essential. Um, I'm still uh, completely perplexed as to Shemi Ojale's involvement as a regular rotation member, but I was at least relieved after I think it was the first three games of the this bubble season um, to finally see Rob Williams emerge. And, and play at least like 15 or so minutes a game. Yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't have been nowhere, 
and like, with he, with he a with a free a smooth free throw stroke as well, and a little short jumper. He's he's his field goal percentage has been excellent, and he's he's integrated a, a like ten to fifteen footer J that was just not there. His form looks a lot better. He looks super confident on his free throws, as you said, Mike. Uh, and and my question, as I asked on the last podcast before Time Lord started getting this run, is where is he? Why is Brad Stevens not playing him? Uh, why do you think it, Josh? Why do you think it took so long for him to get off the bench? That's what I'm saying. Out of nowhere, why? Like that, I'm a little disappointed right now. Or I mean, obviously, I don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe he needed to prove something to the coaching staff before they could play him over Cantor. But mm-hmm. I'm saying the same thing. Why isn't he out there? And and I'm a little perplexed as to why Brad is just so uh, experimental. It seems like with his lineups, like. What do you, like if you know that you need Rob Williams for the playoffs, and that's why you're playing him now? I would assume that's why you're playing him now. Then where was he in the beginning of the of the bubble games? You know, and kind of the same for the Ojale versus Romeo conversation. Josh, is this is this startup for the the bubble? Is it isn't it a little bit like preseason where you're kind of seeing where everybody is after the time off? You you are reevaluating to some extent. You just need to do it a lot faster. And no. typically when that happens, you're, you're relying on veterans more than younger players. No, no, because no, they got eight games to, to figure it out. There is no preseason. There, like, yeah, simply there is no preseason. So, and there's a lot of teams a, that Josh are trying. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. There's a, lot of time, there's a lot of teams in the bubble who are experimenting still and, and, you know, because guys are trying to are playing for their lives, for their next contract, et cetera. But, like, Stevens has even said publicly, you know, we're going to play our guys and some guys aren't going to be able to play. And then throughout the year, we saw this from him before coronavirus shut things down is he would experiment. He wouldn't play these two guys for like two or three games in a row. And he played these other guys and he was given everybody an opportunity for the entire go. Like Javante Green was still getting minutes. So and I'm just I just don't like how that's continued in the bubble a little bit. If I'm Romeo, I don't know when I'm going in. I don't know what my role is about to be. He said in the media that, that I'm going to have a role in the playoffs, but now I'm not playing much when it matters. So, you know, these guys need to start to have some expectations, I think, of when they're going to play or if they're chosen. And obviously you play certain teams like the Rockets. Some bigs aren't going to play. But I'm perplexed. Before we get to Romeo, I, I just obviously I'm playing devil's advocate with that question. Somehow, the three of us all agree. Uh, Josh, I've been watching the same thing all year with Brad shifting things around. Uh, let me try these guys for a few games, the Carson Edwards experiment. Players repeat over and over again that they need to know what their role is. And on this team, the bench, I don't think they know. So uh, from what we've seen, who should the bench be? Not including Marcus Smart, obviously. He's really a, a sixth starter in a sense. But typically, you need nine guys, right? And and you can switch that up in terms of matchups depending on your opponent in the playoffs, which will happen. But uh, who, how do you want to see this looking? Mike, let's start with you. So I think the Celtics bench beyond Marcus Smart needs to... The regulars should include Brad Wanamaker, Robert Williams, and Ennis Cantor. And then based on matchups, you would, I would go with Romeo or Grant Williams 
or maybe even Javante Green. I see no room to be very clear for Shemi Ojale. Um, I don't see a near, nearly enough short-term value add rel- for what Shemi can bring relative to either Grant Williams or Romeo Langford, depending on the matchup that you're trying to put him in for. Uh, and certainly the long-term is way, way lower with him than either of those two. So I just, it it is dumbfounding to me that he has been a regular rotation player since the onset of this. He must have been like beyond exemplary in maintaining <laughs> fitness and like staying up on everything to the point where the coach is like, we have to reward someone who is this on top of things. Because yeah. that's the only rationale I can come up with that makes any sense. Because you watch the games and as Josh likes to say, it's like, how does someone get to the NBA without having learned to dribble better than a high school level? Like, <laughs> he he puts the ball to the floor and immediately loses it off of his foot or his defender's foot before he gets to the free throw line. Um, it, I he's hitting some three-pointers now, and that's literally the only positive he has on offense. And no, you're right, Mike. As a coach, you always have guys like that that you're going to reward. But at the NBA, you don't need to do that stuff as much. You don't, you know. and not with eight games left before the playoffs when you've yeah. got to fine tune and get your like elite elite lineups ready to go and familiar with the guys that they should be playing with in high leverage moments. And if Shemi Ojale is out there for high leverage moments, then we're not putting our best our you know our best foot forward. So and so Adam asked Mike, you know what? Where does the bench start after Marcus Smart? And you listed six guys. So let's try to be more specific. If you're going to choose like the next two after Smart, who would they be? No, I listed I listed three main rotation cogs, which would be Wanamaker, Rob Williams, and Ennis Cantor. See, I got Grant Williams and Romeo Langford as my next two after Smart. So wait, Josh. Who I, th- I think that's misguided. List them, Josh. Who who's your bench? My bench is Smart, and then Grant Williams. And then Romeo Langford. Those are the first two ahead of Rob Williams, ahead of Cantor. Yes. I'm disappointed with Wanamaker right now. I, I think he's turning the ball over almost as much as Semi Ojale. Um, and and I, I don't I think he's one of the guys who's glaringly not supposed to be out there. Um, obviously Cantor's great, but in certain matchups, you, you know, you'd rather have someone like Robert Williams. And I always go back and forth between Cantor and Robert Williams. The last two games, Robert Williams has been playing way better than Cantor did. So, you know, and people talk about his defensive uh, IQ and, and lapses and positioning issues. Um, and so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to take either of those guys. I think the guy who's shown defensively that he can be trusted is Romeo. And, and the upside with him and star potential with him is so much that I think you have to put him on the court. Um, and if you've got other guards who aren't really hanging, like Wanamaker, in my opinion, I would put him out there and, and I would have somebody else run the, you know, run the show. Like you've got one, uh, you've got um, Gordon Hayward, you've got Jalen Brown, you've got Tatum, give those guys reps as that lead guard to set things up. If you've got Romeo out there and you're, you're down a point guard or, you know, have smart do that. But and then and then obviously a, the most trusted guy on the bench I think is Grant Williams, um, in terms of a coach that knows that wants a player out there who's going to do you know everything that he's supposed to do and be in the right spots. 
Um, and he's, he's in his threes at a decent clip. So those would be my first two guys. Wow. I, I totally thought we were going to, again, be in agreement here. But uh, clearly, Josh had to come out and say something that is pretty ridiculous. Before I get to that, let me just say, so Robert Williams, obviously, I, I think I want him playing no matter the matchup. I want him in the rotation. Um, Wanamaker is, is my, my backup point. I want to say point guard, but you know, obviously Marcus is handling the ball a lot, uh, with the backup unit. Uh, Wanamaker passed the ball on a fast break. Did you guys catch that? Seen it before. Rare, rare (laughs) sighting, but I've seen it before. I did catch it. He also dunked against Orlando. He dunked in the second, in the fourth quarter against Orlando. I didn't, didn't know if I'd see that ever either. A week of first for Wanamaker. Yep. So Wanamaker, um, um, Robert Williams, Cantor comes in when we've got beefy bigs. Uh, I, I, otherwise, I'm not sure if I'm playing him at all, um, especially against small ball lineups on the other side. Um, and beyond that, I mean, unless we're playing the Bucks, I don't want Ojale playing. Are you guys comfortable playing Ojale against the Bucks? No. Not even as a Giannis stopper. I not not if that is what is rationalizing Brad playing Ojale now. I like genuinely <laughs> think it's detrimental to the team for Ojale to be playing. Period. <laughs> so, um, no, I'd rather I I I was I mean before before we we kind of fired things up. Josh and I were kind of shooting the you know what, and I I was like let's just get Rob Williams out there as our Giannis stopper. Like, hmm. <laughs> I don't really know what our best options are, um, but Shemi is not so above and beyond uh, as an option there. I, I suppose he's some fouls that we could throw at him, but he should be, like, still a, a ladder a ladder option uh, once we've tried some other things first. He's ranked, like, in the top five in the NBA. I think it's in, like, uh, defensive field goal percentage or something versus Giannis one-on-one. Ojale is, like, number four. Um, you know, there's some metrics that say that Ojale is elite when it comes to stopping Giannis you know, as elite as you can be considering the circumstances. But uh, so I would play him against that team in a series, especially that's several games long. You know, you'd want a player like that on your roster. But I agree with Mike. You don't need to be playing him in these other games. I mean, it's great that he's, you know, at least a little bit reliable with with his three-point shot now. Um, That's still hit or miss. But, you know, I would say that's a net positive for him. Whereas just the fact that he's, he's turnover prone is a major issue. So my eight guys, Smart, Wanamaker, Rob Williams, you can play Ojale for five minutes. You want to play Grant Williams for five minutes, fine. I would play Ojale against, uh, against Giannis. I think he is good enough. Uh, and you need somebody to, to really muscle him. And Ojale's been great at it. Uh, Josh, what you said about Romeo Langford and Grant Williams, uh, like, just because Langford has a future... And you know how much I love Langford, and he's played well recently. Uh, and I mean, he's—I've loved his play recently. I think he's a great uh, individual defender. I've loved how he has, with with a with the bad sort of backup backup units based on how we've just defined it. He's taken a lead as a ball handler. He's passing the ball. He's still not hitting his threes, but his shot's looking a little bit better. I, I love Romeo. I don't think. Form wise, yes. Form wise, it is. Really? And he's look and he's taking shots with more confidence. Yes, it's it's. Look, I'm grasping here. Okay, <laughs> I want his shot to improve, and I think I, it will over. Look, time. I Josh, like Romeo, but that shot is still not pretty. 
it's it's less of a shot put than it used to be. Agreed. And he's taking it with more confidence. It's not perfect. It's not it's not pretty. But Josh, to say that because he has a future, you got to play him in the playoffs now. That's wrong. No, I think that he he's got to produce now. No, he's got He needs a role on the bench that he can expect, so that he can be developing throughout all these games instead of it being game to game or week to week or just so hit or miss. Yeah, Josh, now, I feel like what you're saying right now is completely the inverse of what you were saying about no, it no, being no. eight games and we don't have time to mess around. I I just think you're talking about if Romeo hadn't been injured during the regular season, how we would have treated his time. Versus no, how even we now. should be treating his time now. Yeah, I just disagree. Okay, so now you should be playing him an expected number of minutes, and he should be playing every single game when it, in a period of time when it matters. Three minutes, four minutes. It doesn't have to be much, but it needs to be non, non-garbage non time minutes. Um, and then you play him in the playoffs because he's part of the rotation. And you're, you know what you've seen from him is defensively he can play with the main units in when it matters, you know. Why are you giving him reps against James Harden and these other elite offensive players, you know, and then pulling him for several games at a time? It's he's if he wasn't proving defensively that he could be where he needs to be, I get it. But he's showing defensively and that he's there. It's just his shot that's keeping him back. You're giving him those reps for his own development. But if you've got players who can do more on the court than he can at this point. You got to play them. And so the rebuttal from from people, others at Celtics blog, because I brought this up in our Slack, you know, is is that Brad's what they're hearing is Brad is tired of just developing the young guys. He wants to play, you know, the guys he can trust, and that's why we weren't seeing Robert Williams. That's why we were, you know, that's why all this is going on. But huh. But then he goes in and now plays Robert Williams, and, and he has a couple great games, at least offensively great games. Defensive player of the year, Josh. Marcus Smart, uh, I would argue, is the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Where did he rank when they did the voting? So he's not in the final three, right? Obviously, this has come out a couple of days ago. Not in the final three candidates for the awards, right? They've broken it down. Here are the finalists. For the Defensive Player of the Year, finalists are Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. What is it going to take? And they just they just they just share the final three, and that's it. Yeah, One and of those then three will win the award. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously, you got guys like Pat Beverly or Marcus Smart or other Defensive Player of the Year candidates that are just you know not getting the love. And we had this a little bit with Tony Allen, uh, more so when Tony was with the Grizzlies than with the Celtics, but. You know, what is it going to take to get a wing or guard specifically to be able to win this type of an award? Um, they talk last about one it was the glove, right? Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't Gary know. Gary Payton, I believe, was the last one. Yeah, last it, guard. You're pulling that stat out of, out of you know where or you're – yeah. you know that. Or is this a yeah, out of my brain, out something? of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, while we talk about it, why don't you go back that up? Um, it did, yeah, let's not – I mean, I, I think we have room for one of us on this podcast to have Josh stats where you say something as if it's a fact and then say, I don't actually know if that's true. And that's kind of Josh's domain. He's established himself there, and I don't think we can compete, Mike. So – and you got in the beginning of the year, Smart is talking about how he wants to be considered. He wants to win the award. Like this year, I'm going to win that award, right? So you have all these quotes that, that, that these guards will throw out in the beginning of the year because – you know, is that the only way that they're going to 
protest the fact that they're not given a, a fair shot. Um, and that, that's how they lobby for themselves, it seems like. Like, what other move do they have? What influence do they have? I didn't hear anything you just said because I was reading. Gary Payton was the most recent guard to win DPOY. <laughs> he did this in 1996. 96. So when I pull stuff out of my you-know-where, unlike Josh, you can take it to the bank that it is accurate. Love it. Love it. Thank you for not listening. It was totally worth it. Josh, uh, the way the NBA is going, the perimeter game, it's – I'm get, I'm starting to get bored with these like pick and rolls above the break, uh, like five feet be at uh, thirty feet to the basket, and the way the game is going, perimeter defense is so much more important than it used to be. So forget Tony Allen. Like at, at this point, there is a market inefficiency, I believe now, given that that they are focusing on big men for this award. Still, it does not make sense. Gobert is great and he honestly he struggles on the perimeter um was do you guys recall it was anthony davis one of the uh finalists for this award in the past or did this just start when he moved to the no he he was he was up there uh over the last few years i believe and coming out of college he was you know known as an nba ready all nba defender you know just right away and the offense would come I mean, Adam, I, I hear what you're saying, but the reality is that a, an elite defensive big man ultimately influences um, a lot more on the court than your standard, you know, high-level defensive guard. They they funnel things away from them just by virtue of existing. Um, I, I, Marcus Smart is tremendous because he manages to influence so much on the court despite being a guard, but you do have to overcome the limitations, um, you know, frankly, physically of how much less physically imposing and how much less kind of reach and ground you, you physically cover as a guard versus a big man, not to mention just where you're based out on the perimeter you have less direct influence over a lot of a lot of kind of the end results of plays. So I, I, I don't I, I don't that. I don't think it's as much of a market inefficiency as you're making it out to be. There's no question in my mind that Giannis has a bigger defensive impact than Marcus Smart, as much as I love Marcus Smart. Because Giannis isn't just a big man, but he's yep. also extraordinarily mobile and can cover ground on the perimeter, etc. Same with Davis. What about Gobert? Gobert like affects shot quality and uh, shooting percentage around the rim, and his total points added are probably greater than Marcus Smart's, and it's like ninety nine percent of that is because of his defensive value add. That would the Jazz would be a much much the Jazz would be more affected by losing Gobert than the Celtics would by losing Smart. Whoa. Yeah, to me, I don't know about that. I I don't know if I agree with that. And I think that says, uh, I think that's that's a a reflection of the fact that we have more quality. Yeah, I think I was going to pick up the slack. That says as much about the other players as it does about that individual player. So, look, I've been thinking about this for the last like three or four weeks because, you know, that's my level of Celtics pride. Um, And it seems like, 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 there's got to be a way for Smart 
to protest or lobby in a different kind of way than just a quote at the beginning of the year. So that's number one that we we gotta we gotta rack our brains and think about that and let let Marcus know. Number two, you know, Scal brought up recently on on the broadcast. You know, he was talking about this and he's he's saying with all the analytics that we have now, why do we not have a metric for comparing bigs and guards defensively for the for an award like this or a situation exactly like this? Absolutely. Um, and you know, Mike, you're the you're the advanced stats guy on the pod. What do you think about that? Well, there is a stat called defensive real plus minus. Uh, that <laughs> yes, we know that ranks Rudy Rudy Gobert as the best defensive player in the NBA, followed by LeBron James, and then uh, then a Celtic. Uh, but it's not the Celtic you would guess in probably your first four guesses. <laughs> So not Shemi Ojale, <laughs> uh, not Jason Tatum, not Jason Tatum. He's our number two Celtic. Jalen Brown, no. Ennis Cantor, no. Yeah, right. Come on. Brad Wanamaker, the best best free throw shooter <laughs> in the NBA, is also the Celtics' best defender. Surprisingly, come on. Daniel Tice. Oh, number number three in the NBA, according to this. Granted, number four is uh, Nikola Jokic. So I'm not sure how valuable this stat is. But <laughs> how do we adapt the stat to to compare a guard versus a big? Like that's that's number two that we need to figure out. All right, number one, how does Marcus lobby, or how does a wing lobby for defensive player of the year? Besides a quote in the beginning of the year, um, I just really enjoyed the part of that interaction where Josh asked the question without knowing anything about advanced stats. And Mike said, well, actually, this thing exists. <laughs> no, I know about real plus minus or defensive plus minus. I understand that. But there isn't a stat, you know, like like Scal is saying, that stat does not exist. But so so I, then, I don't he, quite understand what you're saying. Are you saying there should be two defensive players of the year, one at a no. – Big level and one at a guard. I mean, there's all NBA. No, we just need to figure Guards out a way. Guards recognized. We just need otherwise to it's out the same way. metric. Why? Why would it be a different metric? Why would it? Why, why would there be a different rating system? I don't understand what you're proposing. Ultimately, I'm, we're evaluating for a single award, so we need a single way to evaluate both of the both guards and bigs and determine who has a better, greater overall value for the single award. We can. I don't we can actually think I, I. I don't think it's a catch-all stat. I, I. You know. I think these are pretty limited. But um, are you arguing that this is the stat that we sh that, that we have no, all no. the information we need to compare guards no. and bigs for this award? I Mike? quite literally just said the opposite of right. That. So why uh, are you arguing? We, what, what's with the we argument? We can all we can all agree that more information can be had in defensive stats. There's a lot more that can be measured that is not currently measured. Right. Right. Sure. Okay. So yeah, so let, we're all in agreement here that a stat, uh, better statistics for defense that that factor in uh, perimeter defense, which is tough to quantify, would be helpful. And so here's is there really, still confusion? So here's what's really going on: is they're going to give the award to Giannis because they want Giannis to win the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year award because that's going to be what's best for the NBA. And because he's like probably that. the best defensive player in the NBA, <laughs> conveniently. Sure. Sure. <laughs> that, that's a convenient and, part of the narrative. <laughs> it's not just like and a conspiracy. It turns out he's deserving of both of those things, <laughs> which makes it non-conspiratorial and 
just rational. Sure, and that's why my well, that's why I'm upset that that smart isn't even listed as one of the the, the finalists. Like, if you don't win the award against Giannis, I get it. Right. But Adam, like, you shared a zygote. I don't. Can you? I'm I'm confused. <laughs> um, I've been trying for my entire life to figure it out, and unsurprisingly, I still don't have the answer. Okay, so when the award is is announced and the winner's announced, um, or at any point before the beginning of next season, do you think Marcus Smart is going to mention it publicly? The fact that he didn't win or that he's not considered is this going to be a thing that gets bigger? I mean, can he can he just shout it out every time he makes an awesome awesome defensive play? Maybe we'll hear it on the telecast with a bubble. Speaking of hearing things on the telecast, this is related because it's it's my answer for why we won't hear it. I, I, I perhaps I should have known this already, uh, but I think it was the Brooklyn broadcast where Scal mentioned that the players don't actually hear the piped-in crowd noise. That's only for TV broadcasts. And reading a little bit about it more on like NBA Reddit, I guess they're doing that mostly so that you can't hear the players cursing. Um, I thought I heard conflicting I, I, information about that. Is that is that real? That from what I've seen, that is real. That players are not hearing that crowd noise. That is only for TV. So frustrating to me if that's true. Which which is it's it's a little bit mind bending to say the least. It's it's very confusing. Uh, Red Auerbach. Red Auerbach is rolling over in his grave. Yeah, but he started so we, rolling anyway, over. Which in his is grave. why we would not. Why we would not hear DPOI getting shouted by Marcus after every steal or block. But, uh, Adam, this is the only place to talk about this. Um, Red Auerbach started rolling over in his grave when the mention of cheerleaders on the Celtics sideline came about. You know, what is he thinking about this whole deal? Like, this this is the antithesis of everything that he thought was pure with basketball, you know, and this thing that he basically had a hand in in creating. Yeah, I, mean, I get that it's weird that this is like a practice environment, and I love it, and I want to hear everything, all of the trash talk, everything that's going on, have somebody with a, a bleep button. There's ways to resolve this. You don't have to pipe in stupid music and crowd noise. I get, I, I understand they're trying to fix, yeah, well, I, I was going to say, my understanding was that they were piping in the crowd noise to the teams be, to try and make up for the fact that there's no home court advantage. That would make some sense. Even I, I wouldn't love it, but it at least would make sense. I mean, I, I watch these games and I think about the 92 Dream Team practices, which were supposedly the greatest games. Like, one of those practices was the greatest game ever played. It's a totally different way of experiencing the NBA as a fan, and I think it's super cool, and they're, they're messing it up. They're, they're losing an opportunity. They're messing it up? I think they're doing a pretty good job. No, they're doing a great job. But in that respect, I think they're messing it up. I don't think they should be piping in noise for the audience at home. I think that's the wrong move. I think that's like the feeling like you're actually in a practice gym with NBA players going at it. That is super cool. But you got to hear it. Yeah, I don't think they could keep up with the bleeps. <laughs> to be honest and plus no i mean that i do think that's probably one piece of it i think another is like the sound of of sneakers squeaking would not make for a good broadcast like there's just certain certain things that would 
it would be kind of fun for the true diehards or you can imagine like, you know, being at your Y watching a pickup game and like simulating that feel. But for, you know, the millions of people that they're trying to retain as viewers, that is not going to fly. And uh, this, I think it's well established that this entire undertaking was all about the dollars. So they're not, they're not going to do something that, uh, yeah, I think the diehards would love what you're saying. I think that would be really cool to watch Adam. I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's enough uh, bleeping technology (laughs) to, to keep that clean. And I don't, I just don't think it would appeal to the wider, the wider viewer set. Shall we move on? Yeah, this has been a good podcast so far. A lot of like good complaining. It kind of brings me back to the old school Boston sports talk radio, like the Ted Sarandos days <laughs> of like so. just call after call of just whining and complaining. We don't need callers. We can do it all by ourselves. <laughs> I like this mid-podcast evaluation of what's currently happening. We should do more of those. What's our grade? What, we, what, what would you grade <laughs> us so far, Josh? <laughs> I would say a B minus on this pod. That's what we strive for here at Celtics Pride. I would say I would say listen to one of our other pods. <laughs> <laughs> I love that a B minus is, is a good grade, Josh. That oh, raises no. other questions. Oh no, not a good grade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Looking at the standings, the Celtics are firmly in third place. You got Indiana and Philly as we are recording this on Monday night. Uh, sorry, Indiana and Miami playing each other. That game started a half an hour ago and they're fighting over the four seed. Um, anybody have any idea whether Miami wins the tiebreaker against Philadelphia just in case they lose tonight and Indiana takes the fourth seed and then Miami happens to being one game ahead of Philly uh, if, if Philly makes up that ground and they're tied that's our only shot at missing Philly in the playoffs so what Adam's trying to tell y'all is that we're going to play Philadelphia in the playoffs first yep. round uh, and we got some exciting things coming up yeah, you know, the, real, have... the real reason we're going to play Philly is because uh, their next game is against the, no pun intended, scorching hot Phoenix Suns, who remain undefeated in the bubble so far and somehow might find their way into the play-in game if <laughs> Memphis <laughs> keeps dropping. Totally off subject for the Celtics and their playoff opportunity ch- chances aside from that game against Philly, but it's really insane to me that Phoenix has been performing as well as they have the only undefeated team in the bubble currently that's right after we beat toronto yeah wow and so they're a half a game back of portland uh for the themselves are half game back yeah and that doesn't matter as much well i mean i guess that would matter in terms of the eight nine matchup uh but phoenix portland that's really interesting uh i thought that was the only thing that mattered to you adam that's our memphis pick that gives us like a 0.03% chance of bumping up to the, in the lottery <laughs> if of Memphis course, drops out. <laughs> of course I want Memphis to be the ninth seed. That's better. But I expect Memphis to lose, whether they're 8 or 9, to either Portland, hey, they could Phoenix, fall to 10. or San Antonio. They could fall to 10. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I made a, a little note that, they, <laughs> yeah, that if given the chance, uh, they could fall much farther down. Uh, kind of like... Kinda like um, is it Washington? Washington is 31 games behind Milwaukee, uh, which is behind Charlotte, who hasn't been playing, behind the Bulls, who haven't been playing. You give them an opportunity, uh, and they could they could have fallen into last place in the East against teams that are not playing. But they're grandfathered in, right, where they were? 
Can't they not uh, fall behind teams that weren't playing? Isn't there something right. yeah. Yeah, that's quirky correct. like that? Yeah, that's why it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, we are likely to play Philadelphia. We are going to do our first ever uh, cross podcast with the folks, the podcasters from the Liberty Ballers blog. That's uh, the basically Celtics blog equivalent for the Philadelphia 76ers on SB Nation. So we're going to do a prep podcast to get everybody ready for facing Philadelphia that will come out before those games start. Uh, playoffs start the 17th. Still not sure when the Celtics first game will be. Um, so that'll come out um, before then. And we're excited to learn more about Philly just quickly without giving too much away in preparation for that. Ben Simmons is expected to be out for either the majority or potentially the entire rest of the season. He's out for with, the rest of the year. That's official. It, definite. Yeah. yeah. So and that he's having surgery, right, Josh, for it yeah. for that uh, dislocated kneecap. And um, sounds like Joel Embiid has a little ankle injury. He missed a game or is about to, is going to miss a game. How do you guys feel? Just give me one sentence. These injuries. How does it shift how you feel about playing Philadelphia, if it does? The bet I made last week is invalidated. <laughs> That's my sentence. What was the bet? <laughs> uh, you and I bet um josh that the i was i said the sixers would beat the celtics in a first round matchup yeah that yeah. was before the simmons injury yep mike says philly beats celtics in 2020 first round josh isn't worried about it <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not really thinking about that bet that we made it was an idiotic statement on your behalf to be oh no with. it was i would have stood by that bet if simmons was still healthy i i we can't guard Embiid, but they don't have enough firepower around it now all right, so bet is still valid, but Mike feels differently about it now. Great, moving on. Josh, how do you feel? It really changes the dynamic of the of the series. It takes like all the wind out of the hot air balloon, I feel like, for Philadelphia. I, I went, you know, like just two days ago or a day ago, I was uh, starting to think of questions I wanted to ask these Liberty Baller podcasters. And it was like, I could I could not be more condescending and like, competitive in the, in the way that I'm phrasing these questions. And now I feel like I can't be, you know, mean in the way I like, especially with Embiid, like he rolled his ankle after a layup, um, like kind of overrunning the hoop and then going to turn and stepping one last step, like to pivot and to get his momentum going against the stanchion and his ankle buckled. And it's just like, God, anything that could go wrong is going wrong. Like the guy's getting injured against the basketball stanchion now. It's, <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, just the list. This is like the Yi Jian Lan uh, draft workout against the chair, except he's getting injured. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I just feel so bad, especially just the way that, that, the, Celt- that the Celtics Sixers relationship has been over the last two years with the Tatum trade. Just, I mean, there's a whole list. We'll, we'll tell you more on the pod when we have the Philly guys on. But, like, I, I'm just – I was super excited to be competitive, and now I feel like the Sixers don't have a chance. This is the team I would most like to play, and it's it's almost laughable to the point I, I don't have a whole lot to say. Well, I I am not as optimistic as you guys. Obviously, it's a loss to lose Simmons, but it changes the way that this team can play. I think it changes the way that defenses have to guard them. Um possibly beneficial to that defense but uh i'm it does not fix the fact that we have nobody to guard joel Embiid. it increases al horford's minutes um and potentially Embiid's as well we i don't think we have anybody that can guard him either 
so we we still have the same problems defending that team, which is what made all of us nervous. I'm still nervous about it. But um, what I will say is that I got I got an inkling from the Liberty Ballers guy folks who were basically like, we're happy to jump on the podcast as long as we don't have to talk about Philadelphia. They're not <laughs> they're not loving this season. <laughs> the um <laughs> the I mean the one thing Adam on the flip side is that now they only have basically like Embiid or Tybal that could guard yeah. our wings. Um, and Embiid can't Tobias really Harris. be a. What do you mean? They got Josh Richardson. Like they got guys who will do an okay job, but not like Simmons. That's true. I mean, not like Simmons. You 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 can put Simmons on Tatum, and that's that's a real defensive matchup. Uh, um, I don't think you can put anybody else on that team one on one against Tatum, except for maybe Embiid. But then you take Embiid out of the paint. Um, you're not playing Embiid on on Tatum. No, I know. I'm saying he could. He could though. I think you could match him up. He's a phenomenal defender, Embiid. So it will be interesting to see what what the Philly bloggers think about this matchup. Uh, we will be asking them a lot of questions. If you want to ask a question, please send us your question via email at CelticsPridePodcast at gmail dot com. That's CelticsPridePodcast at gmail dot com before Thursday at five p.m. And uh, we will ask uh, your question to the, the uh, Liberty Ballers folks. All right, what do we have uh, left in the regular season? I think we got two games coming up. Is that right? We play, the, we play dregs. We play on Tuesday, uh, that the one and only Memphis Grizzlies. Um, kind of, as we alluded to earlier, who have been in a free fall uh, for the, most of the bubble after talking about how slighted they were by the whole play-in thing, they have a chance of missing the play-in. So good on them. Um, and then we finish out our regular season on Thursday against the even more hapless Washington Wizards, who I think have already left the bubble. I'm pretty sure I made that joke last week. Uh, it's worth making again because they've been just non-existent. So two more scrimmages. Two, two more scrimmages. Yeah, these will somehow be even less inspiring than the Orlando Magic game was. And Mike, you make that joke about these guys actually already leaving the bubble. Terrence Ross left the bubble today. Like you got guys who are who are like they're like we're done. I'm leaving. I'm out. You know, like these games. Is there any? Did he have an excuse? I don't know. I mean, I could be ragging on him, and he could have a legitimate excuse. I don't know. But I'm I. You know, I my first thought was like, well, you learned one of the Orlando players is left. Like they they got nothing left to play for, um, and he has a contract. So you know. The they, Wizards. The rep- reports are that uh, it's it's for non-COVID related medical tests. Or you're gonna feel like a jerk if that's something serious. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> My point is, both both of these. Well, the Grizzlies have something to play for, and that's it. Celtics don't really have much to play for in these two games, and I think that's why it took us so long to finally beat the Magic because. Uh, you know, we the Raptors game was the last super important game. Um, our standings won't be affected if we lose both of these games. Brad is still gonna. Brad Stevens is still gonna treat this like he needs to play the guys to get them ready for the playoffs when he could be resting some guys. So that'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, I hope that we do that against the Wizards. Um, you know, play the scrubs against the Wizards, but play our normal playoff lineup against the Grizzlies. 
it'll be super fun to watch John ja Morant. You know, maybe the last time to watch him for a little while. Real basketball is coming in one week. Real basketball. Oh, Gosh, boy. you say we have, we have nothing to play for, but there is a 0.5% chance if those Grizzlies fall out of the the playoffs of us getting the number one pick, or which we wouldn't, which means we'd get an unprotected Memphis pick next year. If you don't think the Celtics players are obsessing about that, you're crazy. Yeah. They're not 0.5% of <laughs> None of them could care even any less about anything. Um, no, I'm with you, Josh. The no, the Celtics players are likely checked out, except for whatever Brad Stevens wants them to focus on for any given game as they prep up for the playoffs here. All right, final thoughts here on the podcast. Yeah, go watch Matisse Thibel's, uh vlog. There's some good, some good behind-the-scenes stuff about the Sixers that'll help you get ready for. Uh, for have you guys seen those? I have no idea what you're talking about. No. Okay, so Matisse Thibel is is vlogging, you know, inside the bubble. Here's what's going on. He, you know, he started a YouTube channel like, you know, ten days before the the bubble started, and you know, he's been in the last couple of weeks. He's been on Jimmy Fallon. He's blown up. Um, everybody really likes his, his really? vlogs. So on YouTube, go check that out to prepare for the Philly series um, because he'll be on the court. He'll be getting some big minutes. And that, You're just adding reasons why I'm upset that we don't have him on the team right now. Like, all accounts, awesome dude. Really, really interesting story behind him, too. There's some good <laughs> – I did a deep dive in my pre-draft on, on Matisse Teibel, and, and not only did I like his game, but I liked him as a person a lot. Uh, so – Thanks, Josh. Thanks for adding to my my jealousy. Well, when we have to talk about him for an entire series, you can continue this feeling you're having. Okay, great. Thanks for listening, everyone.